0: Welcome to Bible Bashed, where we aim to equip the saints for the works of ministry by answering the questions you're not allowed to ask. Listen and enjoy this installment of Iron Sharpening Iron as Pastor Tim answers your sincere questions. Here's Pastor Tim.
1: On this episode of Iron Sharpening Iron, we will be answering the question What do I do if my worthless husband won't lead? Now, as a result of the fall, uh, men are typically tempted in uh, two different directions as it relates to being husbands. So there there is a type of man who will use his authority to essentially dominate his wife. Uh, he'll, his leadership will be characterized by... Um, Many irrational commands or instructions that he gives, which are uh, often one-sided, contradictory, uh, hypocritical in certain ways, and often self-centered. And then, you know, he uh, will uh, use his temper to uh, keep his wife under control. And, uh, has a never-ending list of, uh, expectations that he might have, which the wife will never, will, will fail to meet, uh, while at the same time excusing and ignoring the own issues that he has to deal with himself. And so there, there are, there have been many men throughout the history of the world who face that temptation, uh, the temptation to look at the weaker vessel and despise her. And then to uh, use this authority to fundamentally pursue self-centeredness and to dominate her. Now, uh, that's not the most common temptation that men face today living in the kind of society we live in. Because we live in a matriarchal society... One of the things that happened is that men have fundamentally been feminized to a great effect, and part of that feminization has uh, led to the fact that many men are very passive, and, and this is a temptation that is the reverse temptation of the first. And so there are many men who are very passive in their leadership, who give little to no tangible instruction, who take little to no and. Uh, Initiative as it relates to the affairs of a household, uh, they pretty much pr- promote a laissez-faire kind of leadership where uh, everything goes, and and uh, and most women, whether or not they um, uh, know it or not. Will be ultimately frustrated by that kind of leadership. Uh, Now, one of the questions that we received, as it relates to uh, our podcast in general, was the question: "What do I do if my worthless husband won't lead?" And and there are certainly many situations in life where uh, women are put in situations where they have passive husbands who uh, provide little to no tangible direction. Now, due to the rise of the servant leadership movement within the church, one of the things that's happened is the church has uh, promoted and. A, a basically an irrational concept of leadership that essentially involves uh, following. So uh, what's been promoted in church in many ways is is a contradictory oxymoronic notion of leadership that involves little to no leading. And if there's any leadership to be had, it's mostly involved with uh, consulting one's wife to find out what her opinion is on uh, any uh, situation that happens to come up. Now, uh, women, women who find themselves under this arrangement might ask the reasonable question, well, what do I do in this kind of arrangement. Uh, The Bible says I'm supposed to follow my wife, but then when I look at the way that my husband actually is, there's little to nothing that I can actually follow. So what do I do in that sort of scenario? Now, uh, no matter who's asking the question, uh, whether it's a wife who's uh, exasperated by the attitude of a husband or the actions of a husband, or if it's a husband coming uh, to ask questions about how he can Uh, respond to a wife and whatever problems that she may have. Uh, One of the things that we we ought to remember is uh, the instruction of the scriptures, which tells us that if we are going to seek to help... um, our loved ones. We must first get the log out of our own eyes so that we'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck which is in our brother's eye. Uh, One of the things that we have to remember is that uh, it's much easier to see the sins of other people against us as it is uh, to see the sins that we commit against them. Now, part of this is related to uh, simple biological realities. Uh, When you think about the way that your eyes actually work, your eyes are set in your head in such a way that it's very difficult to see yourself. Uh, it's very easy to see other people and and be totally blind to the uh, faults and traits that uh, you have, which are uh, sinful and dishonoring to God. And so uh, one of the things that you always want to do when you are setting out at uh, the task of trying to help someone else is to examine your own heart and to... Think about the sins that you commit yourself and to be much more focused and fixated on the kind of lessons that God wants you to learn before you seek to help anyone else. Now, one of the things that we realize is uh, when you look at Romans 8, 28, we, we we see that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. Now, most people understand that in some sort of trite and simplistic kind of way, uh, so that anytime anyone is in any kind of difficult situation, and a woman who legitimately finds herself in a situation where she is dealing with a very passive husband is is finding herself in a very frustrating situation to be under when you uh, consider God's commands. But anytime anyone finds himself in a situation like that, typically the counsel that we give to that sort of individual, it might... Uh, involve uh, some sort of trite presentation of, hey, everything works out for good. So, you know, just, uh, I know that it's hard, but God has a lot of good things that will come from it. Now, the problem is that God definitely does have good things that will come from it, uh, but they may not be the kind of good things that you might expect. Now, because we live in a world that's dominated by the prosperity gospel— One of the things that we hear when we hear a verse like that is we hear uh, what's being communicated is that, you know, my husband is a real passive, uh, worthless, uh, you know, human being who provides little to no leadership, but some good things are going to come out of it. Maybe someone will get saved as a result of that. You know, maybe, you know, at some point God will benefit me financially. Maybe it will have ramifications in terms of my testimony and everything else. And, And I would say that some of those things might happen. But uh, you know, if you keep on reading in the verse, the verse says, "For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become be uh, conformed to the image of his son." So one of the things you realize is that God's working everything to good to those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. And one of the it, one of the things you might realize is that there is a good that that He has in mind, which you don't have to, you know, search for and strain for, and you're you're not looking for the good of positive and favorable circumstances, although positive and favorable circumstances may come. From uh, whatever particular trial you're facing, the primary good that the passage has in mind is the good of your sanctification. So the the text says, "For those whom he foreknew, verse twenty nine, eight twenty nine, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son." So the best question that you can ask is not what good will come out of this uh, difficult situation. The best question you you should be asking is the question, uh, uh, what. In what ways is God attempting to sanctify me through the midst of this trial? So James tells us to count it all joy when you fall into various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If you're dealing with the trial of a passive husband, one of the things you ought to realize is that this is the trial that God sovereignly put in your life in order to make you more like Him. And so, if you want to know what the good that God has in mind to come from that trial, the first and foremost question you should be asking is, in what way is God... uh, Using this situation to make me more like him, and that's a question that might have any number of different answers. Uh, for instance, I need to grow in selflessness. I need to grow in being sacrificial. I need to grow in patience. Uh, you can just uh, think about any of the fruit of the spirit. I need to, that God's using this situation that I chose to be in of my own will. He's he's. Uh, Uh, using this situation to help make me more loving, to help make me filled with more joy and realize that joy is not dependent on positive favorable circumstance, but a confident trust that God's at work. Uh, Is this situation God's designed to help me to have a supernatural kind of peace that the world doesn't understand. Uh, This situation is helping me to be long-suffering, to learn uh, to follow Jesus' example of being gentle. Uh, and kind, and faithful, and self-controlled. you know. So you just go through the fruit of the Spirit, and you can see there's many different ways and situations that God is going to use that for your good. So part of uh, the answer to this question, what do I do if I'm married to basically a worthless, passive, beta of male kind of husband, is to do a spiritual inventory on yourself and, and look at the ways that God is pushing you to grow. Uh, now, uh, a second part of the, you know, the aspect of just... Um, getting the log out of your own eye, is is that there's often many situations that we find ourselves in where uh, the things that we're grossly offended about as it relates to our spouse are things that we're committing at that very moment. I can't tell you how many times I've been um, in uh, some sort of argument with someone and been a bit indignant about their tone or the way they're talking to me or the facial expressions or their body language uh, only to be totally blind to my own tone, my own facial expressions, my own body language uh, it's very easy to to pick at the actions of others and be totally blind to your own actions and so in order to help people, uh, the Bible says uh, if anyone falls into any transgression you who are spiritual, restore such a person in a spirit of generalness looking to yourself lest you also be tempted uh, one of the things we need to do is so self-examination, And some of the questions that we ought to do along those lines is, you, you have a passive husband. You, uh, one, some of the questions you might want to ask yourself are, are there ways in which my attitude is contributing to this? Um, are there ways in which I'm resisting the actual leadership that he does give me? Um, when I say that he's not leading in any way, am I uh, having unreasonable expectations about what leadership actually looks like in the ways that he actually is leading? Am I supporting and following those? Uh, am I minimizing those? And 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 uh, because there's areas of leadership that I think that he's. Uh, failing at, uh, am I only seeing the negative? Failing to see the positive? Am I encouraging him in the positive and everything else? Now these are all reasonable questions to ask, and they're the kind of questions that a thoughtful and a humble person will ask, uh, and they're they're the kind of questions that are able to be asked without uh, doing some sort of simplistic calculus, which seems to think that, uh, you know, that uh, there's that that life works in such a way as. Uh, that in complex relationships, there is one person who is 100% a villain and another person who is a 100% a victim. Life typically doesn't work like that. Marriage problems don't happen in a vacuum. So when you think about the context of your own marriage... Uh, you know, sin begets sin. Uh, so here's the thing. I mean, you know, life is typically pretty complicated. When two people get married, you have two sinners who are living under the same roof, and their sin influences the other person. And so uh, often one of the things that you're going to find is that uh, when you sin against your spouse, they're going to be tempted to sin back at you. And so one of the things that you don't want to do is you don't want to adopt some simplistic kind of calculus which seems to think that, you know, all of my husband's sin is somehow my fault in a simplistic way, and yet at the same time, one of the things that you don't want to do is ignore the possibility that you might be provoking him. So you don't want to take responsibility for his sin, uh, it, but then you don't want him to, you know, uh, uh, blame shift. Uh, his sin as a result of your sin. So so everyone's going to be accountable for their own sin, uh, but then you can also acknowledge while everyone's accountable for their own sin, there are things we do to tempt one another. And so one of the things that you want to do in that kind of scenario is do some honest self-examination, see what you think the Lord's is trying to teach you. And then you also want to be uh, thinking, are there ways in which I'm provoking my husband? Is there ways in which I'm encouraging this sort of situations? Uh, is there are there things that I can do that will help in this situation and hurt in this situation? And so the the, the first step is is that sober step of self examination, and that's across the board. If the husband's asking, you know, what do I do with my worthless, lazy wife? We're going to give a similar list of self examination that's going to go before we seek to correct the other person. And it's a sign of spiritual health that uh, you take. That list of self-examination far more seriously than whatever is happening on the other end. Because at the end of the day, one of the most encouraging things about marriage, uh, despite the fact that there are frustrating elements, is the fact that you can be confident that God is only going to hold you accountable for your own sin. Okay? So, like... um. So at the end of the day, you're going to stand before the Lord and you're going to give an account for your actions. And, and uh, you're going to give an account for the actions that you perform as a woman. Uh, God's going to judge your husband for the the leadership or the lack thereof. But you functionally don't have to bear uh, that kind of judgment. The only judgment that you're going to uh, bear is the kind of judgment where you stand before the Lord and give an account for your own actions. Uh, personally, so God's not holding you responsible for the things that your husband does or doesn't do. He's only going to hold you responsible for the things that you are doing. Now that being the case, I I know that there are many uh, situations like this where um, a woman will say, "Hey, my husband's not leading in any way. What does it to follow?" And I would look at that kind of woman, and and the standard kind of advice that I would give in that kind of scenario is is the simplest, simple kind of advice, just to say, "Well." Uh, you know, if he's not leading, you should be asking him for direction. Um, So uh, if, you know, if he's not communicating his desire, if he's not communicating his wishes, if he's not communicating his um, direction in a very clear sense, uh, there are many ways to get that kind of information out of him, assuming that you're the kind of person who actually legitimately wants to follow. Uh, One of the Temptations you should be aware that you might be tempted to face is the temptation that all women face to one degree or the other. Um, now, now, while a husband is tempted towards passivity and a husband is tempted towards being domineering, uh, women are also, as a result of the fall, going to be tempted to dominate their husband or to be doormats for their husband, uh, who uh, are basically spineless jellyfish who provide no uh kind of pushback or feedback in any way. So I wouldn't discount the fact that there might be perhaps uh it might be perhaps much easier to say I would love to follow my husband uh than what it actually is on the ground. It may be a much more difficult proposition to follow a husband uh than you may think and, and, and it may be that you're overestimating at times your willingness to follow him. But one of the ways that you can test that is to go to him and to ask him for a tangible direction. Um, there's been scenarios in my life where I have authority figures over me that are very difficult to follow because they they don't seem to have biblical priorities. They don't seem to have biblical values. Uh, They uh, seem to be thinking about things in crass and worldly ways. And one of the things I've tried to mitigate against that is I've tried to be the kind of person who is looking for ways to follow. So it may be that I uh, am... um, uh, there is, uh, you know, an individual in my life who, uh, in some sense, I'm told to respect and honor. Who I I look at and I I realize that maybe I'm not getting a whole lot of spiritual advice. And so uh, there's scenarios where I look at and I say, hey, they they have good practical wisdom as it relates to this, and so I'm going to go to them for this good practical wisdom and see what I can get out of it. But a woman could think the same way. Uh, with a husband who it doesn't even have spiritual concerns like a, a a husband who is a pagan an absolute pagan uh, a, a woman can devote herself to his priorities and and uh, his um, uh, the kind of leadership he has and, and and the reality is it's not a matter of uh whether or not uh it's not it's not a matter of if a husband has leadership it's what is the leadership that he has and a lot of times uh you know passivity is a kind of leadership it's just a kind of leadership that doesn't involve a whole lot of direction as far as that goes. And so if I'm a woman in that kind of situation, one of the things that you can do is you can, uh, constantly be asking, uh, your, your passive husband for his advice. You can be constantly asking your passive husband for his direction. Uh, your husband comes home from work and one of the things that you can say to him is, hey, what, how do you, what do you think we should do today? What is your plan for the day? You know, how do you think we should spend our time? Uh, those are things that you can ask, um, you know uh, you could you can be approaching your husband you can say hey you know um uh, assuming you're in a situation where your husband's not taking you to church or being a spiritual leader in that sort of uh, in, in that sort of way uh, you can go up to your husband you can ask him hey what do you think we should be looking for in a church and have you looked at any and are there any that you've thought about you know uh, and uh, what are what are your suggestions and what do you think and, and everything else, and and a wife can can do that, and if at some point a husband is, uh, you know, telling his wife, quit nagging me, quit talking to me about it, you know, one of the things she can respectfully do at that point is to say, well, would you mind if I go visit with the kids and uh, go go to a church of um, while you're trying to figure out which one you want us to go to, because uh, I don't want to keep on neglecting the fellowship of the saints. And, and you know, and I think at that point... Um, you might want to approach it that way, and if he says no, then you know I think at some point you're having a conversation where you're saying I'm I have to obey God rather than men. Uh, but what I'm trying to say is, uh, even with a passive husband who's not providing much tangible leadership and direction, you can come to him and you can. Uh, try to ask him for the advice he knows. Try to ask him for direction in, in as many areas as you could think of. Uh, if you're looking for, for direction, one of the things you might find is he's giving a lot more of it than you might realize. And if you could latch on to that uh, and try to follow the actual leadership that he's given, uh, you might find that uh, he's doing a lot more than what you think. Now... Now, a, a woman who's, who finds herself in that sort of situation might uh, basically get exasperated and say, essentially, I, it feels like I'm holding my husband's hand and this kind of emasculates him in my eyes and how I'm supposed to respect a person I have to basically hold their hand and lead them. And I would just say to that kind of person that um, you know, God is uh, gracious with us in our many failings and you made the choice that you made and you're in the situation you're in and God's designing it for your good and there's really nothing to stop you from following even a very passive husband in the way that he's leading uh the primarily at the you know if there's functioning zero tangible um uh, practical uh direction that he's going to give even with you know you're uh coming to him for leadership and he turns that into conflict and fights and arguments and everything else and one of the things you can realize is that he's um He's basically he's providing me leadership. It's just not very specific. He's uh, basically, in, in a certain sense, you know, his um, he's uh, not gonna, whatever he's doing is not micromanaging me. So there's a lot more freedom in that kind of arrangement. And so I just wouldn't overthink it. I would just uh, follow the things that you can have to follow. Uh, pray for him. I mean, I think one of some of the best things that you can do is to not get embittered by it, not just fixate upon it, uh, not just fixate upon realities that don't seem to be changing, um, uh, not just be a, a, a continual source of conflict. The Bible tells uh, a wife to win a husband over without a word as they see her chase in respectful contact. There's nothing that uh, like there's nothing to stop you from uh, winning, trying, attempting to win him over without a word. If conversation becomes unfruitful and unhelpful, there's nothing to stop you from being respectful, even to a passive husband. And one of the things you're doing at that point is you're not respecting his decisions; you're respecting his position. And there's nothing to stop you from uh, being uh, loving and filled with joy and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and meekness and uh, self-control, there's nothing to stop you from any of that and showing uh, even the worst kind of scoundrel respect uh, that's due to his uh, position. And so uh, one, all you can do at a certain point is just pursue the things God tells you to pursue. And um, you know, God's not going to hold you accountable to your actions. But one of the things that you ought to realize in that moment, though, is that uh, you know, if you're dealing with a husband who's showing little to no spiritual leadership at all, has no interest in spiritual things, providing zero potential direction, it might be that you're married to an unbeliever and it might be that the best thing you can do is just call it what it is and start to pray for them. Now, uh, the best thing that women can do in that kind of situation is to attach themselves to a biblical church who can help them uh, and give them practical advice uh, that is going to deal with their specific situation. It's almost impossible to give a helpful counsel from a distance without knowing all the factors that there are to know. But if you can find a good, faithful New Testament church um, that practices church discipline, that's going to be go- be a great help uh, to you that will actually take on the job of shepherding well and not uh, hand that off to someone else, that will be a great help to you in knowing how to interact with this sort of situation which is hard and difficult.
0: This has been another installment of Iron Sharpening Iron. As always, if you would like to have your question included in one of these midweek episodes, email us at biblebashedpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Gab. Now, go boldly and obey the truth in the midst of a biblically illiterate world who will be perpetually offended by your every move.